There's no secret, I love our choir. I love how they, you, invite us into moments of sacred musical transcendence. Whether our choir is sprinkled about us in the pews, during hymns, gathered en masse up here, singing in the narthex like before the service, up in the loft, I love our music. And you might be surprised to learn that our choir got their first press review last Christmas. Hmm. Reporter from the Santa Monica Mirror was yearning for sacred Christmas music, beautiful Christmas carols. So he decided to check out what local churches were doing for Christmas. And we were first on the list. He figured he'd be able to hit a whole bunch of churches because Christmas this past year was on a Sunday. And if he hit the morning services, Sunday morning, he could hit evening services, right? Well, not quite. He didn't call ahead to ask us what we were doing, and he didn't call ahead and find out that our service Christmas Eve morning was actually the fourth Sunday of Advent service, and that we weren't going to celebrate Christmas until that evening. That meant... In the morning, we weren't singing Christmas carols. We weren't having brass and pulling out all the stops with the choir until that evening. So our review began with the horror that we were not jam-packed for Christmas. <laughs> Even more horrifying, our first hymn was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a pre-Christmas hymn and not a Christmas carol. And worst of all, we had a three-person choir singing up here. After all, the clergy, we'd all come in, and there were no choir behind us or in front of us. So he, in his words, in the middle of that hymn, slithered out. And he missed discovering one of the things I love most about our choir that our choir sits with us. You all sit with us. We all sit together at the beginning of most services, singing hymns together. The divinity in our pews, a sacred music in our pews with us. And he missed the note in the bulletin that that service was actually Advent for, and he missed staying for announcements when Reverend Nate explained that Christmas was actually happening Christmas Eve and not Christmas Eve morning. This sacred surrounded the reporter and he couldn't see it because it didn't fit his idea of what he knew church music to be. And he missed the great reveal that we have, as one newcomer said, a flash mob choir. <laughs> We suddenly rise up and out of the pews, actually in a way that has befuddled quite a few newcomers, so many so that we now have a note at the beginning of the service, the clergy process in while the choir remains in the pews, and then at the offertory anthem there's a note, the choir rises from the pews. 
So people aren't sure, any, they, people can be sure now, oh, I'm not supposed to go up if I'm new. Though <laughs> <laughs> so we'd welcome them. This rec- reporter's idea of what church music should be, robes set apart, sitting someone, someone, somewhere different, led him to the conclusion there's no great music at St. A's. And that was a false conclusion, as we all know. And it led him to a decision that ended up precluding him from discovering there is sacred music here. The sacred music he was craving was sitting right next to him, right in front or right behind him in the pews. And that sacredness that would be revealed dramatically at the offertory. Now how much of his experience is like ours, many of ours, with Jesus? How many times have our ideas of who Jesus is and the possibilities of what God can do, how many times have those preconceptions blocked us from seeing God in our midst? And often we get afraid. Maybe Jesus isn't really here at all. Maybe there isn't a powerful force of love and reconciliation and healing right here right now, and sometimes we, like the reporter, slither away, or our hearts close down. And that's part of the dynamic that's in Mark's gospel reading that Deacon Katie just shared. This passage has two of the most dramatic healing stories in all of Mark's gospel. One is embedded in the other, kind of like some of those rare hymns that start out a couple verses with one tune, then switch to another, and then go back to that same tune, the first tune at the end. Because here we have the story of a leader of a synagogue, Jairus, whose daughter's dying. And that's how the gospel reading starts. He seeks out Jesus in total confidence that he can heal her, And he begs Jesus to lay hands on her. So Jesus sets out with a huge crowd following and pressing in on him. And then, insert the new tune, a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years comes up behind him, convinced, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. She tried every sort of remedy. She'd gone broke trying to heal herself. And she does. She touches his robe from behind, and immediately her hemorrhages stop. This is a dramatic transformation, a dramatic reveal of the enormity of God's healing power. And then Jesus asks, who touched me? The disciples kind of think he's a little nuts. There's a whole crowd here. Basically, everyone is touching you. They have no idea that a miracle had just happened in their midst. And then the big reveal, a moment of dramatic courage on the part of the woman who'd been healed. Because when Jesus asked who touched me, she knew in her heart she needed to come forward. And she overcomes her fear and fesses up, trembling, She tells Jesus the truth of her illness, the illness that had made her an outcast, an unclean person in society for 12 years. 
And she tells Jesus the truth that the power he felt go out of him went into her and healed her. And the disciples see the power of God was in their midst, operating in ways they never imagined. And then we change the channel right back to the first story because as whilst Jesus is saying, go in peace, you're healed to the woman, people from Jairus' home, the synagogue leader's home, come up to tell him, your daughter's died. And having given up hope, the people say, why even, why even trouble the teacher? Why even bother Jesus? It's too late. Even conceiving that anything could be done to reverse death, impossible. Yet Jesus replies, do not fear, only believe. And he sets out for Jairus' home. And he finds their weeping and wailing crowd in the home, packed in. And he tells them to stop crying. He says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. What does the crowd do? They laugh at him. They reject the mind-blowing possibility that Jesus could raise her from the dead, the mind-blowing possibility that anything could be done, which is indeed what Jesus does. He touches her hand, and she lives. So within this sandwich of stunning stories of transformation, of suffering into healing, of death into life, there's also a sandwich of sorts. The people in the middle having courage to reach out to Jesus in faith, in hope of transformation, surrounded by those who dismiss and even laugh off the possibility of what God can do. Do not fear, only believe, says Jesus. What fears of ours are hindering the free-flowing, life-giving movement of the Spirit into our own lives and our own circumstances? Where are we blind to Jesus' active hand in the world? The gospel loudly proclaims that Jesus is personal. Jesus touches the hand of the girl he heals, the touch of the woman on his clothes, and she's healed. Jesus touches and can touch our everyday life, whether we know he's right here next to us in church, sitting next to us and with us at home, at work, even in the community, amidst the darkness of the world, the darkness sometimes in our heart. This is Jesus who transforms, transforms darkness into light and life. And one of the ways Jesus touches our lives is by creating that longing in our hearts for his presence, a longing for transformation, a longing just like the woman who was hemorrhaging longed to be healed, a longing like Jairus's on behalf of his daughter a longing that any darkness within, any spiritual death we might be feeling could be healed. And when we seek Jesus, when we respond to that longing, this gospel also proclaims that we can't confine him to our ideas of what God can do. 
We can't make Jesus into our own image because our imaginations aren't big enough for the fullness and mystery and power of God. We can get glimpses. We need to let Jesus speak for himself. And how do we hear Jesus speak for himself? We turn to scripture. And we turn to stories like the ones today to learn who he really is and who God really is. And then we begin discovering that radical change through Jesus is available to each and every one of us. When we get over our fears and we respond to that longing, transformation happens. And it may not happen in the way we expect, but it happens. It may not happen instantaneously. Our bleeding may not be healed right away, but over time, it happens. And sometimes we can't see how it's happened until we look in the rearview mirror and we see the collection of little moments that have led to major change in our lives. So the call is to open ourselves up to Jesus. Let's engage with the sacred song Jesus is singing right in our midst. For when we do, Jesus will make our hearts sing. He will begin recreating God's life in us, for we all can and will have new life. Amen. Okay.